evening. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Kuma. This evening, Mark Dutoy from Oyster Catcher Investments and Sanili Siwe Dofile from All Weather Capital. Join me to unpack your stock-related questions. Do send those questions via SMS to 41392. Email at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thank you so much for your time, Jen. Seems that the U.S. markets came back to red screens across the board. Uh, just now we were celebrating uh, the uh, stimulus that was announced by China over the weekend to support the property sector. And now that seems to have lost steam. Mark, what have you made of today's trading session? Yeah, I mean, uh, markets are volatile. So, I mean, today, I think what um, the news for us today was the stage six uh, load shedding, which uh, saw our RAND weakening um, in the morning. And then towards afternoon, our, our RAND seemed to make back some of its gains after our GDP number came in slightly ahead of expectation. I think that um, for us, I mean, we are a bit worried about the South African fiscal situation. So um, we're not... Tax receipts haven't been high enough. It's coming off the back of um, commodity prices, which are lower than they were a year ago. So South Africa is not exporting as much as it as it was the year before. And um, you know, there's going to be uh, uh, necessary expenditure cuts coming. So hopefully, our government will be able to make the difficult choices, um, and so we won't see that our our debt to GDP ratio go too far out of kilter. But I think for us, that's the that's the bigger worry for us at the moment. So we're expecting weaker weaker rand, and um, you know, then you have to ask yourself, you know, how do you structure your your portfolio accordingly? Exactly, and of course, leading us to that is uh, we have a company Shoprite uh, that seems to really be uh, riding the the headwinds, and they're actually thriving uh, even in this kind of environment. Um, but that share price, uh, we did see reddening there of about 7% at some point. And actually, I see that someone uh, tweeted us a few days ago uh, asking, uh, any analyst willing to talk about uh, ShopRite share price? My technical analysis suggests that I should expect a reversal. Of course, we have seen a reversal today. I suddenly say, what did you make of the numbers versus the market reaction? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, ShopRite is a quality name, um, you know, the management are always kind of hitting all the right tones, making all the right decisions. So it's always going to be, I feel, trading at a premium to to peers. But uh, even with that, I think the recent performance, so perhaps for the whole year, in fact, has been uh, a relatively strong relative to peers. So I think uh, a lot of what uh, these numbers today suggested was already baked in, maybe a bit more than what they uh, produced. The numbers themselves were... Uh, in my reading, quite solid. Uh, you still, you've got some uh, earnings growth uh, coming through. But I think you saw, if you kind of break the numbers down, you saw a slowdown in the second half, which kind of speaks to the fact that they're cycling a higher base from the prior year. And also the outlook that they uh, presented to us uh, today, also suggesting uh, still good double-digit growth, but uh, lower than what they printed for this year. So again, cycling a higher base. So, I mean, you can't expect them to always kind of be out uh, outdoing themselves all the time. They are, like I said, best in class, and I think they'll always kind of outperform peers. But uh, I think a lot was baked in coming into today. So that's, I think, what you're seeing in the in, in the in the share price reaction. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So so market really seems that Shoprite is kind of getting into the the the, the trap that Capitec is in as well, that where now uh, investors are kind of starting to see it as it may be uh, a bit too expensive. What do you make of the share price? Um, but also if maybe today's uh, 
you know, reddening of the share price could pro provide opportunity or if it's maybe just too elevated? Yeah, I mean, I, I do also agree that I think they had good numbers, which the market was expecting. And I mean, I think that uh, perhaps the only weakness was that the margins were a bit low, but then they have been speaking about investing in price and taking market share away from the other competitors, which in the long term is a good story. So uh, I think uh, ShopRite is a quality company and I think you can buy on weakness. Mm, all right. Well, let's get into more questions, actually quite a lot today, particularly on uh, process and NASPERS. Uh, Sandy, so I want to come to you. Uh, what is happening with uh, the NASPERS and process unbundling? So um, I would imagine that is the, uh, the easing of the cross-holding structure. Any news, any developments that you've come across? I mean, that's the, that's the point right there, right? Just uh, that I think since the introduction of process, there's just been a lot of complexity in that uh, in that group with the cross-holding structure. Um, it was taken very well by the market when they announced it a few weeks ago that they will be essentially undoing that um, that, that cross-holding structure through the issue of uh, very dilutive shares for process holding in NASPERS and NASPERS holding in in in, in, uh, in, um, in uh, process. So by issuing those shares, they were able to kind of uh, essentially dilute each other's shareholdings down to a point where they essentially don't uh, necessarily uh, own a meaningful stake in each other. So now we've got a clean uh, sort of uh, uh, investment case whether you're buying process or NASPERS. Obviously, there's still the discount to Tencent as well, Tencent being the, still the sort of major underlying asset. Um, and obviously, these, these shares will always to some extent move with the movements of Tencent and by extension the movement of um you know the sort of Chinese market, Chinese economy and, and the likes. So I think uh it's a, it's a very sort of um complex mixture, but I think that's what you kind of have to keep an, an eye on now that this cross folding structure has been essentially eliminated, you know, kind of looking back at the fundamentals. And uh, I guess the next uh phase of this uh, whole process I suppose is uh, kind of the full, I guess, externalization of process, um, which is uh, uh, what I guess investors will be looking for. Yeah, all right. Um, there's also another question here on uh, process uh, and NASPERS. Uh, the viewer was asking us uh, about the SENS announcement yesterday um, from NASPERS and process. I don't know, uh, Mark, if you got a chance to look at that. Yeah, as far as I know, it's just an update on on proceedings. I don't think there's any new information in that sense. Yeah. Just saying that they're one step closer to finalizing the the proposed structure. Uh, all right. Actually, just sticking with you, Mark, just one last question on a process. Um, I feel like this is more of a, a tongue-in-cheek uh, question. What's the difference between uh, these two instruments, the Satrix, uh, MSCI, China ETF, and process? Their uh, charts seem to rhyme. Um, yeah, any uh, any th thoughts on that? Of course, uh, Sanisu also did mention, of course, the big exposure that these companies do have to Tencent. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the view is pointing out that Process's main asset is Tencent, which is the large tech company um, in China. And, um, I mean, they will, they will move together because as Tencent share price goes up, Process is worth more. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Tencent's also a big component of the Chinese MSCI index. So, to some extent, they will run, but obviously the index has a far more diversified holding than, than Process has in just one stop.
Ah, all right. Uh, well, let's look into the retailers. There's a question here. Uh, with increasing load shedding, uh, the retailers have started the week on a negative note. How does the panel see a balancing view of what seems to be entrenched load shedding combined with the possibility of peaking and potentially falling interest rates in the coming quarters? Which of these factors are more likely to shape the direction of the above-mentioned counters? Uh, quite an interesting one there. Suddenly, say what? Um, sorry, did you please uh, mind just asking the question again? <laughs> yeah, so the, so, so, so the, the viewers really pointing to, you know, what we're seeing in terms of the retailers, uh, you know, them being affected by entrenched load shedding, but also now the possibility of peaking and possibly uh, falling interest rates in the coming quarters, of course, uh, affects the consumer. So they're asking which of these factors are more likely to shape the direction of the above mentioned counter. So, yeah, which one, yeah, which one yeah. would be more impactful? Yeah. Jeez, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's on the list there, but I think consumer um, earnings uh, or, or earning potential or spending potential is probably going to be the most uh, impactful thing. And I think that really speaks to uh, inflation, um, amongst other things, I suppose. But the biggest thing is inflation and, I guess, to a certain extent, um, employment and the likes. But you've seen um, inflation somewhat abating recently. Mm. Um, but uh, unfortunately, today we are having a, a, a quite a massive fuel uh, price hike which should feed through uh, to uh, kind of impacting negatively on the consumer. And then down the line, that will obviously through the logistics channel, then impact sort of goods and services. Um, so I think we still um, have uh, quite, uh, I think, a long way to go before we see a meaningful turn. Mm. Um, you know, as I said, you know, inflation is abating, but rates are still high. Uh, we're still getting a bit of volatility in the RAND, which is also adding to both inflation directly and you know, through um, uh, the, the the fuel hike. Mm. So I think that the consumer remains under pressure. And I think uh, until, you know, we get meaningful kind of, I guess, structural reform in the economy, I mean, it's unfortunate that we're going back to stage six load shedding now. We thought maybe we might maintain the lower stages, but unfortunately we're back at the higher stages, so that's going to impact as well. Um, so I think the consumer is probably still in a tough time, and that's that's never a good uh, kind of cocktail for the retailers, any consumer-facing business really. Ah. Mark, I will come to you, but uh, the, the second part of that question is what would be your preferred pick, if any? So suddenly, see where I want to stick with, uh, with you. So uh, here we have Mr. Price, TFG, Pepco. If you would be going into that sector, Mr. Price, TFG or Pepco? Um, you know, I think uh, just on the back of um, uh, recent price moves if i can put it that way yeah. uh you know mr price has been beating up quite a bit uh so i think that's a that's a a decent option but uh, to be fair to you i think the discretionary retailers are probably the ones where you want to stay away from for now um and probably go to the likes of um you know the food guys and and again shop right kind of comes to mind uh today notwithstanding um i think the, there's a bit of a, a safety element a margin of safety within sort of the, the the less discretionary retailers but if i had to choose uh, amongst the apparel guys um i suppose mr price given uh you know the relative underperformance ah uh, all right uh, on your side uh mark what are you making of uh you know what could be driving uh the uh, earnings of these uh, retailers right now um i mean is it coming from the kind of cost side load shedding or you know where, maybe where we could see more demand because of interest rates that could be falling or peaking. Uh, what do you make of those drivers? Yeah, so certainly, I mean, the, the retailers have been hard hit by load shedding. 
Machine TFG put out a trading update now saying that they lost, I think it was 250,000 hours due to load shedding this year, trading hours. Um, and so it's put a lot of pressure on 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 their their turnover. Plus, they've had added costs because they have to run some kind of backup power in their stores. But I do think that we are getting to the the point now where where earnings are at their lows. Um, so it'll be interesting to see tomorrow the reaction, the share price reaction to to the 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 Fushini numbers. Um, I mean, they are lower than expected, so we're expecting Fushini to be down about five percent tomorrow, but. It'll be interesting to see what the market reaction is, if it's if it's kind of already baked in in, in expectations or not. Um, I do think that there's going to be a time fairly soon where you want to start buying the, the discretionary retailers on the back of interest rates coming off. Um, I mean, our fuel price hike is, doesn't help, but at some point, hopefully, that will also come off. And then you'll start getting tailwinds to, to their earnings, um, and they're not expensive at these prices. So... So I wouldn't wait too long to buy to buy a discretionary retailer. Uh, and which choice. one would be your pick there in that list, Mr. Price, TFG, Pepco? Yeah, I mean, I also like Mr. Price. Um, Pep, I mean, also yeah, Pep is slightly more defensive. Does a lot of school clothing, um, which is more more defensive. Um, but Mr. Price, you know, even Fashini, we'll see what the price reaction is tomorrow. But you know, any of those three is actually fine. There's another question. Uh, I'm struggling with Mr. Price and Etel Tao's valuations on the market because both these companies net a minimum of 16% and their ROE and ROA is 20% on average yearly for 10 years. Why are they getting hit this hard, Mark? Yeah, well, I mean, we were just talking about the, the retailing sector. I mean, it, mm-hmm. things are tough, you know, the inflation rates is high, the cost of petrol is high, um, cost of food is high, so people just have less money to spend on, on, on discretionary items. I think the, you know, Ital Tal had a real boom during COVID when a lot of people decided to do more innovations on their homes, and so Ital Tal's sales, Ital Tal's sales were, were boosted from that, um, and so we've, you know, uh, since we came out of COVID, people are spending their money on more on travel, um, and less on home innovation. So I think that that's kind of a temporary um, dip for them. And I think that their earnings will will recover again. Um, and then we've spoken about the retailers, you know, people, as soon as they get more money in their pockets, so if inflation rate comes down, if interest rates come down, um, and if, uh, you know, maybe the, the food, the pressure on, on, on the food prices and fuel come, come off at some point, you know, then the retailers will really will really power ahead again. So, I mean, we are at kind of the end of the rate hiking cycle, and it's just a matter of how long do rates stay high. And, um, you know, if the rates come off faster than expected, you know, the retailers will, share prices will recover faster than expected as well. Uh, you spoke about travel. I'll come back to you, Mark, uh, because there is a question on a city lodge. Uh, suddenly, see where uh, a question here. I've been seeing the market shift from the booming industrial sector into small caps recovering and some companies hitting all-time highs. Does that shift symbolize a bull market in the making? Um, I think the thing with small caps is that the the stories there tend to be quite uh, uh, company-specific. So you have to pick uh, your positions. Um, You know, obviously, uh, depending on, I don't know what sector you're you're talking about in the small caps, there's sort of uh, positive tailwinds and some, you know, 
take of companies like say Reuner, Tua, who actually have exposure to um, renewable energy and, and, and the like. So they, they will be having um, quite a good moment. Similarly, a company like Hudeco is another small cap that might be doing well. Uh, you mentioned Itatao earlier, which is not doing so well. I mean, that's exposed to, re- to, to retail and, and um, uh, the consumer. So it really depends on which uh, area in the market you're looking at. There are other companies with tailwinds, some companies with, um, with headwinds as well. So I don't think it's necessarily any sign of a, a major economic boom as yet. Ah, all right. I take your point there. Uh, City Lodge, uh, Mark, uh, they had a trading update today and the headline earnings increased uh, between 444% and 460%. Is it a good time to buy? Is the share price not at a high discount value? So, of course, uh, looking at headline earnings per share, they're swinging from a loss to a profit. Would this be a good time to buy? I mean, City Lodge uh, is quite geared to, to business travel as well. So as the economy recovers, hopefully next year, um, you know, their sales will, the occupancy rates go up and then um, they have a high fixed cost base. So as occupancy rates get above kind of 60 and high to maybe kind of the 80% level, I mean, they'll make a lot more money. I do think that the share price has done quite a lot of work already. And so um, I don't think you're going to get a, a fantastic run from here. But I do think, um, you know, their, their, their um, environment is going to improve. And I think the business tra- travel will continue to, to come back. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of people working from home and, and going on Zoom calls. And that's also starting to decrease. We're going to see more person-to-person meetings. And I think City Lodge will benefit from that. Mm, right. I mean, just as we were talking about uh, interest rates uh, that may be at their peak, um, there's a question here. What are the economic challenges that must exist before the central banks are forced to stimulate the economy by cutting interest rates? Is one of the conditions not a continued drop in company earnings? If yes, does this suggest another leg of uh, stock sell-off in the build-up to rate cuts? San Lisu. <laughs> Um, Very look, difficult the, questions the, today. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, look, the, the the Reserve Bank has essentially a, almost a, a singular mandate, which is to control inflation. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen them hike rates into a low growth environment, but that was because inflation was uh, high, uh, you know, extremely high. Um, so they had to hike rates uh, because that's in their mandate. I mean, there's been uh, sort of political debates about whether the mandate of the Reserve Bank should be broadened to uh, facilitate employment and other things. I mean, indirectly, they do uh, do those type of things, I guess, when, when the time is right. But uh, they, their mandate is to control uh, um, uh, inflation. So the only economic condition for there to be for the Reserve Bank to cut rates is for inflation to be within their target band and I guess for them to be comfortable that the drivers of inflation are also moderating. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so I guess, uh, yeah, really the question also here is that can we then expect another stock sell-off in the build-up to rate cuts? Um, but also the viewers asking which sectors are likely to take, to take the heat most before the rate cut cycle begins. Mark? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we, we're already seeing the, the discretionary retailers really taking the brunt of high interest rates and people having less money in their pockets to spend. Um, but again, you have to ask yourself what's, what's already in the price. And, uh, I mean, we spoke about this earlier. We, we still, we think that the, the retailers are kind of 
at their lows now already, and they're just counting in a lot of pain. Um, and the likelihood is that they, the environment will improve for them, that their share prices will recover. So I think the one, the one thing that we do have to worry a little bit about is the U.S. economy is still quite strong and inflation is still quite sticky. And if they don't reduce interest rates, it's difficult for South Africa to reduce interest rates because then there becomes a um, carried trade on our, you know, in the differential in rates between South Africa and developed markets. So, I mean, we are going to have to wait for the U.S. to reduce rates, which means things might be a bit tougher for us for a bit longer than than uh, than what we hope. Yeah, right. Um, well, question that is uh, asked quite frequently on the show, how much lower can platinum uh, share prices go? Um, but I guess what's maybe more important uh, is, is it a good level to start picking up some? And if so, which? Suddenly, Siwe. Well, the question about how, lo- how much lower they can go, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. It's a bit of a hard one to call. Look, the, the dynamics in the platinum sector are not very encouraging at the moment um you're seeing kind of slowing uh, demand from an industrial point of view are uh, you seeing a changing obviously in the demand from automakers as people go more and more into uh, electric vehicles obviously that results in less demand for um uh, auto catalysts and in, in, in vehicles and in, in combustion vehicles um and you know obviously a big driver of many com- commodities is uh, china as well and you've seen kind of a slowdown kind of happening in that environment. So, you know, you've got a lot of uh, sort of what looks like the headwinds for the commodity itself. And then when you take it uh, a step further and looking at the actual companies, then you have to factor in, you know, the, the production costs and unit costs and you're in an inflationary environment. So, you know, you've got cost pressure coming through for these guys. So there's a bit of a margin squeeze happening um, at a company level. Uh, so, you know, uh, they are going through a bit of a rough patch at the moment. Look, as to whether or not you, you know, you're brave enough to call the bottom, I guess it's up to the individual investor. Um, I think um, with the way I see it at the moment, the, you know, the, the sector is still facing some headwinds. So I, I, I'm more than willing to kind of uh, wait a bit from here. Yeah. Okay, well then, uh, let me uh, take the second part of the question to Mark. Uh, Mark, which ones would you be willing to pick up? Yeah, I think if you want to buy the PGM miners, um, Northern's got a good story. They still have um, growth in ounces ahead of them, which uh, is, makes it a little bit easier for them to cope with high cost inflation. And then Implats has got a lot of cash on the balance sheet. So so I think you can pick between the two of those. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that, that the PGM miners are going to keep producing into a weak environment, in which which means that prices can be weaker for longer. So I don't think that there's any rush. You know, just because the prices have fallen so much doesn't mean that there's going to be a bounce back anytime, anytime soon. Uh, all right. Uh, well, gents, uh, we do have to leave it there. Let us go to your stock picks for today. Suddenly, Sewa, what will it be? Uh, well, in keeping with the small cap conversation, a bit of a, um, a left-field one here with Greenrod, I think... Um, it's a company with a very good valuation at this uh, particular stage, kind of trading at five or six times of earnings. You know, they're still getting a uh, volume growth uh, from, you know, uh, they're benefiting, I guess, from the kind of Durban, which is very poor problems that we have here in South Africa. So a lot of uh, the commodities and, and things are getting rooted through the Maputo port, which where they have a concession. 
And I think, you know, the balance sheet is in a quite a healthy position. So it's a, I think it's a nifty little uh, small cap company with a good kind of close prospects and a decent valuation. Yeah, all right. On your side, Mark, what are you picking today? I'm picking uh, SAPI today. So it's a, it's a cyclical stock, which means that you have to buy it when earnings are beaten up. You have to sell it when things are going well for the company. So we saw in the last uh, set of numbers, um, it came out and uh, five US cents for the quarter, which is actually slightly better than what we expected. Um, and the real story is that there's been a big destocking cycle in uh, graphic paper. They made a lot of graphic, made a lot of money from graphic paper the year before. And now the, um, you know, the pricing cycle is very weak and they're struggling in that area. And uh, they've got really good dissolving wood pulp operations. And we've seen the dissolving wood pulp price now starting to bottom. And I think it's the, the bottom of the cycle for, for SAPI. Um, Q4 is probably still going to be tough, but I think better than Q3. And I think as we start seeing incremental improvements quarter on quarter, um, it is quite cheap at this level. And I think benefits from a weaker rand. And I think the dual return will be a double-digit return for the next three years or so. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jens. Really appreciate it. That is all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guest, Mark Detoy from Oyster Catcher Investments and Sunli Siwa from All Weather Capital. Do remember that tomorrow, Julieta is back with Stockwatch with more of those questions, some that I wasn't able to get through today. But coming up next, the close. Stay watching. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.